So I like today's gospel, but I have an issue with the translation here where it says Bartimaeus calls out Jesus, son of David, have pity on me, have pity on me. I think the phrase is better translated, have mercy on me. Because the Greek is uh, eleos, which is the standard word for mercy in, in the gospel. So he's saying, have mercy on me. And I, I think that sort of gives us a, gives it a slightly different focus or shift in emphasis. You know, mercy is, some, mercy is something that um, I think is talked a lot, a lot about in the Gospels, especially by Jesus. It's something you hear a lot about in the church. Pope Francis talks about it. Um, there was a year of mercy. I think it was 2013. I think most of you were in diapers then, so you, you didn't notice it. But um, yeah, so it's a sort of big, big theme. And I want to talk about today the connection between mercy and the virtue of hope. Because I think, I think they're intimately uh, connected to each other. So what is hope? I know I've preached on this before, but it's all right. It's important, and we're at hope. Hope, says St. Thomas Aquinas, has four parts to, it, to its definition. Hope is a desire for a good thing that we don't have that's difficult to get but possible to obtain. So desire for, for something that is good, absent, difficult, and possible. Okay. Now, you can have the, the sense of hope, the feeling of hope uh, about any number of things. You might think, well, gosh, I hope this homily is short today. Um, now, that would take a miracle. So that also gets into divine hope. Uh, and divine hope is specifically related to God and, and connected to supernatural faith. And so St. Thomas says to have supernatural hope is to have hope about two things. So one is eternal life with God. That's the first part of hope. But secondly, to have eternal life with God, to really become God, to be filled with God, is beyond our normal mortal capacities. And so the second thing we hope for is God's grace. That today, right now, he is going to give me all the help that I need in order to get to where I want to go at the end of my life, whenever that is. Now, St. Thomas says, following Aristotle, that virtue lies in the middle. So hope is in the middle of two opposing sins or vices. So one is despair. And despair says, I have a desire for a good thing that I don't have that's hard to get and impossible to obtain. So I believe in heaven, I believe in God, I believe in mercy, but not for me. That's what despair says. And on, on the other end uh, of hope is, in a sense, so despair is like too little hope. So how can you have too much hope? Is there such, such thing as a, too much of a good thing? Not really with hope in, in its pure form, but it is possible to be overconfident about not just God's help, but where we're at in relation to God and how much help we're, we're getting. So it's sort of uh, the other sin opposed to despair is presumption. This kind of overconfidence in relationship to salvation. Despair gets us to forget about God's mercy and presumption gets us to forget about God's justice. Okay. And I think, 
and I know I've said this before, but I, I think we live in a society that is very um, sort of bereft of real hope. You know, I, one of the key ways you sort of uh, see that, and in which it's measurable, is actually in deaths of despair. Uh, deaths of despair, which are normally classified, you know, uh, things like suicide, drug overdoses, deaths from alcoholism, that sort of thing. Um, and those are normally classified under the category of deaths of despair. It's the sign of a society that is profoundly unhappy. And we've been noticing that the last few years, especially with the, the opioid epidemic, which I think is really about that sort of despair, that, that emptiness that, that people are feeling and looking to be filled. I had a presentation from a recovering heroin addict and named Nick from Chicago. He spoke at the high school I was teaching at. And he talked about the first time he had opiates to recover from a hockey injury. He said he was filled with this warm feeling. Like there's this, this emptiness inside he almost didn't know was there. And he suddenly felt full. And so that's, that's what got him into that addiction. And I think that it's, it's that emptiness that, that needed something to fill it. But a society that's struggling with despair should logically also be a society that, that struggles with presumption. Because if you don't have hope in the middle, you're probably going to be teeter-tottering somewhere between presumption and despair, back from one to the other. What does presumption look like? I preached at the, it wasn't at the 5 p.m. Mass, it was the, the first week of the, it was move-in weekend, and I was at St. Francis, and I talked about uh, this book I, I had read um, called Good Without God by Gregory Epstein. Gregory Epstein is an atheist, humanist chaplain at Harvard University, and he was elected dean of the chaplains. And so he wrote this book, Good Without God. And I think, in a way, that title sort of sums up the idea of presumption. I am going to make it on my own, that I am going to be good, really good, in whatever sense that means, without the help of God. And so he puts that forward in a very sort of bold, frank way. I'm going to try and be good, and I'm not going to ask God for any help, because I don't think he exists. Okay, something very... Very frank about that. But I think he's sort of an outlier in that sense. I think more often where, where we see presumption um, you know, in ourselves, I think, is oftentimes assuming that, you know, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good priest. Oh, all these black good people out there. And I think there can be a, a way it's, it sort of can become too easy to assign goodness to ourselves, to others, as a way of avoiding the hard work of trying to be good and trying to help others be good. And it's hard, you know? It, it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to struggle and to see people struggle. And so there's a way that hope begins with the recognition of the struggle. And this is something that, you know, Bartimaeus, I think, sort of embodies in a way. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He recognizes he's got a problem. 
what he's looking for is, is a corporal work of mercy, you know, to see again. But he recognizes there's something about him that's not whole. And that there's this person who he's heard about who is both powerful and caring. And if he asks him, maybe he'll respond. And so he keeps crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that, I think, is actually why prayer is an act of hope. Prayer is fundamentally an act of hope that somebody's listening to me who cares about me and can do something about this situation, whatever the situation is, whatever it is my need. And I think that's kind of crucial. You know, one of the things that honestly makes me sort of sad is when I go to a funeral and there's very little sort of sense of praying for the dead, that we can pray for them, that they need prayers, that we can do something about that. Because a funeral mass in the Catholic tradition is not just sort of like a remembrance of the, or celebration of the person's life or anything like that. It's an act of hope. It's like, oh, I love this person who's now gone. And this person was not perfect. But I love this person and I'm still going to pray for them. It's the last of the spiritual works of mercy, to pray for the living and the dead. And I know when I go and somebody's saying my funeral mass, I do not want them to talk about what a good person I was. You know, oh, that Nick, great priest. I mean, like, you're thinking, who would say that? But, I mean, there are delusional people out there who would say such things, or at least lie for the sake of my mother. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't want that. I want somebody to say, well, I love Nick. He had problems. Let's pray for Nick. That's, that's what I'm, I'm hoping will happen. Get me out of purgatory maybe slightly faster than would otherwise be the case. And I think this idea of, of hope seeking God's mercy actually goes to the heart of religion and religious practice. There's a, a great English statesman, Anglican, Edmund Burke, um, who lived around the time of the American Revolution. Interestingly, uh, historical side note, Burke was one of the people uh, who said, oh, just let the colonies go, George, you know, they've had enough. Just, just let them depart in peace. Um, King George didn't listen. There was a war. But you know, Burke, Burke sort of looked at this and said, you know, let, the, let them go. It's interesting in that way. But Burke was a profound thinker. And, and he said, this is how he defined religion. He said, religion is essentially the art and the theory of the remaking of man. Man is not a finished creation. Read that again. Religion is essentially the art and the theory of the remaking of man. Man is not a finished creation. There's a great humility in that, recognizing that you know, we're not done, but also a hope. A hope that we can be better. So in terms of practically speaking, you know, what, what does this mean? I think in religious practice... Quality is more important than quantity. You know, a single Hail Mary said with profound faith and love is worth a lot more than a whole bunch of rosaries. And that's true, because at the end of the day, charity is the one thing that we're judged on by God. 
However, if I could say a word in defense of quantity, um, <laughs> sometimes more is better. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an American. Uh, sometimes more just is better. You know, it, 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 gives, it gives space, more space to God to work in our lives. You know, a little is better than nothing, but sometimes more is better than that. You know, so if you don't pray every day, being really committed to praying for five minutes a day is a lot better than being sporadic. But if you do pray five minutes a day, maybe if you could pray 20 minutes a day to say a rosary, to go to daily mass, you know, to commit to that. Every single act of, of true religion is an act of hope. It's an act that, that calls down God's mercy on us and it gives him space and time to do something, whatever it is that he wants us to do. You know? And so, you know, I mean, there's an infinite number of things we could do, you know, just talking to God in quiet, being outside in nature, sacraments, Eucharist, confession, um, going to adoration, uh, saying rosary, all good. And each of those is going to engage our hearts in different ways and call down different mercy. But I think the most important thing is to do and to keep doing. That's the other beautiful thing about Bartimaeus' example. You know, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. And at the end of the day, what prompts this kind of responsive faith by Bartimaeus is the presence of Jesus. And it is the same presence of Jesus that will be on this altar in 15 minutes. So what I want to invite you to do is to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And imagine that Christ is passing by you. And in your heart, I want you to call out to him, Lord, have mercy on me. And I want you to imagine Jesus saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? And now in your heart, tell him what that is.